Hey, I'm excited to be here with you. I want to mention a couple of things before we begin in on our uh, series on John. One is, uh, I'd like to call your attention to your, uh, your bulletin there, Starting Point, on the back. Uh, starting Point is uh, something that we want to do for those of you maybe who have been here for a while and are wondering whether or not you want to make this your church home. You'd like to find out a little bit about who we are, what we believe, meet some elders, meet some ministers, hear about the direction of this church, what we're trying to accomplish, uh, and who we really are. We would love to invite you to that. If you look, February 19th, uh, we would like uh, for you to stay after church for a lunch. We will provide food, and we will provide an opportunity uh, just to let you know a little bit more about us. It's no obligation to you. Thank you, Bubba. It's no obligation to you at all uh, to come to this. It doesn't make you a member or anything like that. But what we would like to do is let you get to know a little bit more about who we are. And so we would, uh, we would love that opportunity uh, if we could do that with you. So uh, that's our desire. You can email the office or call the office and let us know uh, that you're coming. We would, uh, we would appreciate that opportunity. Um, also want to mention as we begin, this is something that we do fairly regular here at this church, is we like to pray uh, for the kingdom of God here in this town. And in particular this week, uh, I would like to be able to pray for uh, Matthew Melton. So uh, Matthew is a uh, chaplain here through the hospital system. He's been a pastor here in this area before, and he is the leader of the Kerrville Ministers Alliance. And so when we get together monthly and talk, several ministers, uh, he is the one who puts that together. He's the one that kind of organized and put together the Christmas walk that uh, several of us did. And uh, thankful for him, he's become a good friend. He prays for us a lot. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity for us to pray for him. So let's, let's go to our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for this morning, and uh, I thank you for just a nice cleansing breath for just a minute as we remember why we're here. Uh, we gather in your name. Uh, we gather under the name of Christ uh, as the Savior and Lord of our life. And Lord, we know that when we come together in your name that you are here, your presence is here, your Holy Spirit is here, and so Lord, we ask that you would guide us as we spend this morning in worship and in uh, reading of the word. And Lord, I know that in a large group like this, some come with heavy hearts. That there are things going on that they are struggling with, maybe broken hearts, maybe loss of loved ones, maybe stressors that are happening in the job or in the family, someone that they care about who's struggling right now, someone who's away that they hope will come home. And so, Lord, we ask that you give peace and you give comfort through your word and through our gathering and through the people here that love them to those that are hurting this morning. And Lord, for those that are new here and maybe are just exploring the idea of who you are and who Jesus is, Lord, we ask uh, that they will see the way that we love each other and say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place because of the way that they worship and the way that they care for one another. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, reveal yourself to those who need to know you and those who want to know you. I ask that you will work through uh, the words of a broken man uh, who tries to bring uh, truth from your word to people. And Lord, more than anything, that you would guide us in everything that happens this morning. Lord, we ask that you would be with this, this whole city and the believers that gather this morning. It is of great comfort to us to realize that there are thousands of people in this city that gather together in your name. Brothers and sisters in Christ who call you Lord. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless this city and all the believers in it. I ask that you would be with Matthew Melton right now and his family, that you would bless his wife and his children and the work that he does as he... Uh, seeks to give comfort to those in the hospital, the times that he's had to walk in as 
uh, a loved one dies, and he's had to remind people that this is not the end of their life or their existence, but there is an eternity. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless him as he does that work. Lord, more than anything, we ask that the gospel of Jesus Christ be preached in this town, and through that, more people would come to be set free from this world and come to know you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. Amen. So we are starting a new series that we're going to be in for a while, and I'm excited about it. I want to tell you, I'm so thrilled. I've had so much fun over the last several weeks digging into the Gospel of John. And I know that makes me kind of a nerd, but that's what I do. So uh, we, I've spent a lot of time in there. I want you to know that I'm excited for us to share this together. I want us to spend this time together. I want us to look at this anew. I want you to look at the gospel the way that an eyewitness described who Jesus was. And we're going to dig into who John was today. We're going to look at some context. We're not going to get past the first couple of verses today. I promise I'm not going to do this every week. You're going to look at this and go, man, it's going to be 11 years before we finish John at this rate. It's not that bad, I promise. I promise. But I do want you to know that I'm excited about us digging into this a little bit and even getting into the first few words of John. One of the things that uh, I hope we can do, uh, if you'd like to, is, is we have ordered uh, some of these journals. And what this is, is this is the Gospel of John. It's written in the ESV version, so it is, it is the translation of the Bible. But it also has on the other side of the page just a place for notes. And we ordered about 150 of these. A bunch of you signed up for them. They're back there in the back. We brought some extras in case you didn't sign up for them. If you would like those, we would love for you to have them. If you haven't got one yet and you'd like to get one, there is a sign-up sheet on the table back there that will uh, you can go put your name on there. We'll try and get you another one by next Sunday if we can. But I'd like if we can, when you show up on Sunday, man, I would love for you to have this. I'll tell you some things. Man, write this down. Go look at this during the week. Go pray about these. These are some things that we can share together. So my prayer is that uh, if you'd like one of these, you can get one. And we will all be reading this in the same version together, and we'll be growing in Christ as we do this uh, one with another. Uh, it, it's, it's a great gospel. It's a great story, the way that John does this. You know, I've heard people describe it in a lot of different ways. St. Augustine, who lived hundreds, over a thousand years ago, who was a, a believer in Christ, one of the things that he said about the gospel of John is that John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim in and shallow enough for a child not to drown. Isn't that a great example? This idea that what you can do is you can dig and you can jump into this and an elephant can swim in it because it's so deep. But at the same time, you don't need to worry if you're new. And I want to tell you this, if you're new to the study of Christ and you're trying to figure out who he is, it's okay. You can jump into this water and you won't drown in it because we're going to do this together. And I want you to be able to do this with us. So to begin, I want to tell you a story about my grandfather. I've mentioned him before. He was a big impact on my life. Uh, when I was about seven years old, my grandfather had retired, and he moved just a couple of blocks away from us, where we lived in Tyler. And we spent a lot of time together, a lot of time together. And I didn't realize until much later that that was such a rarity. But there were many days where he would come get me, uh, nearly every day during the summers. He would just come and pick me up. And I remember during that time, the time that I was really in between about seven years old and through middle school in particular, uh, that he would come get me, and, and people would ask. And they go, what's your relationship like with your grandfather? It seems like y'all are really close. And I go, yeah, we are. And they go, what do you do? What do you go do? And I remember being that age and describing it and saying, well, mostly we, we work. We work. We go mow. We mow yards. We mow this lake lot that we had. There was this, he owned this lake lot down on Lake Palestine. And we would go there, and he had a little riding lawnmower, and we would mow it all the time. 
But years later, I remember reflecting on that, decades later, and looking back, and somebody asking me, what was your relationship like with your grandfather? And you know what I didn't say was work and mowing? Because much later, in reflection, as I saw, what I realized was this wasn't about mowing at all. Because let me tell you how this went. He would come pick me up, maybe 10, 11 years old. He'd come pick me up, and we would go get a snack before we went out there, you know, maybe to the DQ, because that's where you go. And when you get a blizzard or you get ice cream, we would do that. And then, then we'd swing by Kmart, and we'd buy a toy. You know, yard darts or something, a Nerf gun or something like that, something to play with. And then we would drive out to the lake lot, and he would let me drive the riding lawnmower, which I loved. And then we'd stop, and we'd jump in the water, and we'd swim for a little bit. And then after we'd swim for a little bit, we'd get out, and we'd play with whatever toy that we bought, and we'd spend that time together. And then on the way back into town, we'd stop, and we'd eat lunch, or we'd eat dinner, and he'd pay for that. And then he'd drive me up to the house, and then he'd pay me <laughs> as I went in. Pay me for all the work I did that day. He'd pay me. I didn't, I didn't get it then. I didn't get it then. But if you want to ask me now what my relationship was like with my grandfather, I'll tell you, he loved me. I didn't realize at the time, but I realize now as a much older man is to sit and go, wow, you know, he moved a couple of blocks away after retirement because he wanted to be near us. He would come and pick me up every day because he loved me and he wanted to spend time with me. And, and he would take me and find any way in the world to spend time with me, whether we were going and working when it really wasn't work. But we would play together and we would do all these things. And I knew him real well. And he did this because he loved me. I was loved by that man. And so when you end up with somebody that you know loves you in that way, one of the things I want is for you to understand who he was. It's not about what we did. It's not about games. It's not about mowing. It's not about Dairy Queen although that was a huge part of it, right? I want you to understand that there was a man that loved me very well, and it's important to me that you get how deeply he loved me and how deep our relationship was. In reflection, I can see that. As, as an older man, I look back and I go, man, I didn't really see it at the time, but I get it now. I see it now, and I understand what it is, and I desperately want for other people to understand that, and I think that's what John's doing in his gospel is in reflection after a long time to go, I knew this man and I spent time with this man, but what I desperately want is for you to understand about him what I knew about him. I was loved by him. We had a relationship, and it's more than what we did. It's more than the places we went, and it's even more than the words that he said. He said, I was loved by him. And so I want you to understand that. I believe that is what you can see John doing throughout his gospel but it's really hard to get it because of the way that he starts. He starts his gospel in a weird way. I mean, you just heard Casey say it, right? He recited it. Got up here and, and John 1, 1 through 3. It's weird. I got to tell you, it's weird. It's a strange way to start off the story of Jesus. John, tell me about Jesus. Well, in the beginning was the word. What? That's a weird way to start. And for those of us that were raised in the church, you need to know while we see that and we feel comfortable with that, if you don't know Jesus and you're new to who he is, that's a hard thing to understand. I know that's been something that, that people have debated for a long time is they talked about going, hey, when somebody new comes up and they go, hey, I want to know who Jesus is, what are you going to tell them to start? And some people have said, you tell them to start with John. I've never understood that. I really haven't. 
And the reason is because by the sixth word, they're going to need an explanation. By the sixth word, in the beginning was the word. What? I'm going to need you to explain that to me because that doesn't make sense. There's a lot of other ways that do make sense. If you look at the other gospels, and just so you know, there are four different stories of eyewitnesses who spent time with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? Matthew starts off in a way I get. It makes perfect sense. He starts off with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what he does is he goes all the way back to Abraham where there was a promise for God's people, and he goes, it starts here. And then I'm going to go through here, and I'm going to let you know how he came about. That makes sense. I get it. Mark starts off this way. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And he talks about preparing the way for the Lord. That makes sense. I get it. He goes further back and, and starts talking about how, how Isaiah would talk about him. That makes perfect sense. I get that. You have Luke who says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And then he goes on to talk about Zechariah and John the Baptist who prepared the way. And he's talking about an orderly account. I want to give you an orderly account. Makes sense. I get it. And then you have John. And you go, how are you going to tell me about who Jesus was? And he goes, in the beginning was the Word. What are you talking about? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing that was made without him. Everything was made through him. And it appears that what you have is John wanting to write more than just an orderly account. It's John wanting to do more than just go, here's the lineage and the line. It's more than just, hey, here was a diary that I kept on this day we went here, and on this way we did this. And then he said these things. There's more to it than that. You have a man who spent time, three years, day and night, with Jesus, who's going, there's more to it than just what he said and where we went and what we did. After decades, when John looks back, he's starting to understand more of what's going on. These are the words, not of a young man who's following Jesus at the time, in the beginning was the word. These are the words of a man who decades later is reflecting and going, you want to know what it meant? You, you want to know what it was really like following him? Decades later, let me tell you, I've looked back on it and I've watched, and there's something about this. There's something more than just the words and what we did. People realized immediately that it was different. As a matter of fact, in the second century, there was a man who was a theologian. His name was Clement of Alexandria. And one of the things he said was that, that John's gospel is different. It's called the spiritual gospel. And by that, what he means is to go, there's more than just what happened, and there's more than just facts in this. He's actually talking about a spiritual thing that happened. It's a different. John approaches this in a different way. And so I want to give you a little context with that today, because it's a big deal to understand who John was. And I think sometimes we lose the wonder of what's going on in an eyewitness telling us what it was like to hang out with Jesus and to spend time with him. One is you need to understand, it is believed by most people that John's gospel was written last. That actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke were already written. And what happened with John is it was much later in life. He was an old man when he wrote this. It was decades after these things happened. Now you need to know that doesn't make it less reliable. I think that makes it more reliable in a lot of ways. Because you need to know, it wasn't that John just spent time with Jesus and then forgot about it for decades and then went back and wrote about it. John told these stories over and over and over again. 
you got to realize, when you were known as a disciple of Jesus, you were one of the 12. You followed him around. That for decades, everywhere John went, they had to have been going. You were there. Tell me about him. What did you see? What was it like? Is it true? Is it true he raised this person from the dead? Is it true he did this miracle? Did he do these things? And so story after story, as John told. But in reflection, decades later to go, but this is what it meant. This is what it meant. And so there were so many things for John to finally put down on paper. And you need to know, we talk about the inspired word of God, right? We talk about this and to go, all words of God in the Bible, we believe this to be inspired by the Father, written through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you, for a long time, you know what I thought that meant? I thought what that meant was when somebody would sit down is that God, through the Holy Spirit, would take control of that person, and they would just begin to write, and this is what would come out, and they had no control over it. It's almost like a robot, right? Like they're working through it, and here it is, and at the end of it, they'd look and go, oh, wow, that's good. That's not the way that it works. I don't believe the Holy Spirit works that way. I believe what the Holy Spirit does is take you and your perception in so many ways and to go, I'm going to use what you saw. I'm going to use the way that it moved you. I'm going to slowly work through you through decades and decades of reflection and going, I saw this, but what did I really see? The Holy Spirit grows us as we mature. You come to realize more. You know this. There are stories, there are things that you maybe read as a child that you go, I've been able to quote that for years and years and years, but now I'm starting to see what it really meant. I'm getting that there's more to this. That's what makes Scripture alive, is that as we continue, as we grow, as we spend more time thinking and reflecting on the Word, we come to understand more about what God's trying to tell us. And I think what you have with John is an old man who sat down and said, how in the world am I going to begin to tell you about who he was? How do I do this? Where to begin? I don't even know where to start. I picture him as this old man sitting down. Like I said, these stories that he's probably told thousands of times. People especially maybe wanting to know about the miracles and they want to know about the wonders and they want to know about the signs. But there's so much more and John's trying to figure out how to do it. And he was an eyewitness. And you need to know that he was more than just an eyewitness to some events. He was one of a few people who lived day and night with Jesus for three years. And so he saw some things that most people did not see. And by the time he sits down to write this account, it's very likely he is the last one of the 12 who's still alive. It's very possible all the rest of them are gone. They've been martyred. By that, I mean they've been killed for their faith. John may be the only one left. And I'm picturing him sitting down and going, how do I start when I may be the last one here who really knows what Jesus was like away from the crowds? I know the sound of his voice. I know the inflection that he would use. I knew how he walked. I knew his laugh. I knew what made him laugh. I know what it sounded like. I know what he thought was funny, what he thought was sad. I knew the way he would change his tone when he'd get frustrated. I know what his favorite food was. I even know what he smelled like because I spent time next to him. I know how his eyes would light up when he talked of his father's kingdom. And to realize maybe the rest of my brothers and disciples have died for this exact reason, for trying to share what Jesus was like. They've been killed and now I'm going to sit down and do this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write it down so that you know I was an eyewitness 
But what did I really witness? What did I really see? After decades of looking to this, what does it all mean? And how do I even start? I can see him kind of thinking back, maybe as he sat there trying to remember how it all began. At the very beginning going, I was just a young man. So fisherman, fishing on the Galilee with my father Zebedee and my older brother James, we had partners. And the reason that I was fishing is because I wasn't an exceptional student in Jewish class. I was not a scholar that they went, oh, you're so good at this. We'd like to turn you into a disciple of a specific rabbi to follow him. I was actually told, hey, you're pretty good at this, but you're done here. You need to go home and do your dad's job. Fisherman, that's what you'll be. And that was his life. He was set for that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the rest of my life being a fisherman, and that's good. It's not a bad thing. That's where my future was going to be. And then one day, this rabbi came along, and he called me. And I never thought I would hear the words, come follow me, because for a rabbi to say, come follow me, is an honor. It was a huge thing that only a few people ever got to hear. I imagine John going, I never thought I'd hear these words, and I especially never thought I'd just drop everything and go. Change the course of my life in every way. I remember the amazing things that I saw and the amazing things that I experienced, and I can imagine John reflecting all those things. He tasted the wine that was just water a few minutes before at the wedding. He knows what it tasted like. He tasted the bread and consumed it when it was just a few loaves, and then it became enough for 5,000 people. He was probably one of the guys who kept coming back with a basket to Jesus, and those five loaves kept being more. And Jesus kept filling my basket, and I would go give it to people. And then he would fill the basket, and I would give it to people. And I would fill the basket, and I would give it to people. And it kept going. And I tasted that bread, and I saw it being handed out. And I know what it smelled like, and I know what it tasted like. I know the smell of the fish cooking on the fire after a miraculous catch. I know what that tasted like. And it wasn't just that I was an eyewitness and one of 12. I was actually one of the three who got to see some things that a lot of them didn't. John and Peter and James. We saw some things other people didn't see. We were in the room when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead and told us not to tell anybody. I saw it. I was on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. And by transfigured, I mean he's, he looked different. This light would shine off of him. I saw Jesus talking to an image of Elijah and Moses. I saw it. I heard the thunder that came. I was quaking in my boots when the mountain shook. I know what that was like. I know what it's like to be embarrassed when Jesus first called me and my brother sons of thunder and how we earned that nickname. That at one point as young men, we decided that maybe what Jesus wanted us to do was to call down fire to consume the Samaritans because that they were rude. That's what happens when maybe a little power gets into a young man's hands. I remember being embarrassed by that. Maybe John going, I remember what it was like to be embarrassed later when I saw that my mom had gone to the Messiah and asked for me and my brother to have two important places in the kingdom. She actually asked that I be on Jesus' left hand, my brother to be on his right. Your mommy going and talking to the boss. That's an embarrassing thing. 
I heard parables with my own ears, John would say, the kingdom of God from his lips. I saw him confuse and frustrate Pharisees when they would come and try and trick him. I saw these things happen, and I heard him weep over his friend Lazarus after he died, and then I saw him scream, come forth, and it actually happened. A man got up and walked out. I know what it felt like to recline against Jesus' shoulders at Passover, and I know the discomfort that I felt when he got down on his knees and he washed my feet, and I was so embarrassed because I didn't know what to do, because that didn't seem right. And I know what the look of hurt was in his eyes when he asked us to pray that night, and we just kept falling asleep. I saw all of that. John saying, I was there that night when everything fell apart, that dark night in the garden when they came and got him, and we all ran. I was there that night. I was there. I stood at the foot of the cross when none of the rest of them would. And I remember what I thought were going to be the last words he would ever speak to me when he told me to take care of his mother. And then I did, and then I watched him die slowly and painfully and alone as people mocked him and spit at him. And they put this sign over his head that said, Look, here's the king. And I witnessed all of those things. I know what it feels like to lose all hope and to have everything that you'd invested in and what you've been following and what your life has been to be snatched away from you and go, what now? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Everything's ruined. Nothing was what I thought it was going to be. But he also knows the look on Mary's face that morning when she came in and said, you're not going to believe this. Stones rolled away. The tomb's empty. I know what it felt like to race Peter over to the tomb and win because I was faster. Because that's something John wanted to mention. I know what it looked like to see the light come into the tomb and to have it actually hit the clothes that were the burial clothes of Jesus because they're folded now on the edge of a seat and to see that there's no one in there. To finally understand a little bit about what was going on. To finally get an idea of this is what he meant about a new kingdom. This is what it was going to look like. And then to watch him go away again. But this time to give us a job before he goes. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And then to start on that job. To see the blind gain their sight and to see the lame walk. But also to say, I saw my brother James die as a martyr. I saw some of my other brothers that were disciples die as martyrs. I spent time in jail myself with Peter for healing somebody. And then eventually to go and move up to what we call Asia Minor now and to be in this culture where there are some Jews who, uh, who don't quite believe in Jesus yet and that there's Greek Gentiles who don't have any clue about the God of the Jews and about Jesus and to be immersed in that culture for a long time. Surrounded by that. And I think... What we have is an older man, John, who listened and he paid attention to the culture. He saw the Greeks and what they did. He saw them going to all of these different temples and he saw them looking for answers and he saw them looking for what mattered and he's brokenhearted at the fact that there's no way they're going to find it where they're looking. And he saw the Jews too had been looking and saying, someday a Messiah will come and he'll be able to say, I need to tell you, the Messiah has come and he's here. Again, to have John go, yes, I was a witness, but what was I a witness to? What does it all mean? I want to write it down. I want to write down more than just what happened. I want you to understand what I understood now. 
after years and years of thinking on it and meditating it. I want you to understand the spiritual part of it. And so with the gospel, John begins again with, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And you need to know, I don't know if there's ever been any more beautiful words ever written. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You want to know why? Because that is loaded language. That language carried so much weight with Greeks and Jews that when he wrote it, And when it was read, people's ears would perk up. Huh? I recognize that. Let me tell you first, for the Greeks, because where John was in Asia Minor, when he finally wrote all of this down and had it, and he would say, in the beginning was the word. You've heard this probably before. That, That word, word, is actually called in Greek, logos. In the beginning was the logos. And you need to know if you were a Greek person and you were educated in a Greco-Roman society and you grew up in that part of the country, you knew that word. You immediately thought, oh, that's one of our words. I get that, the logos. And you need to understand the logos has this deep sort of meaning. To them, logos was the word for the reason. In the beginning, there was this reason. There's a reason for everything. The Greeks believed in an order to things, a balance. They looked at nature and they saw the sun rise and the sun set. And they saw winter and spring and summer and fall and winter and spring. And they go, there's this cycle and there's this balance to what happens. There had to be this underlying structure of all of this. There's life and there's death. There's a balance there. There's got to be a reason for this. Something is holding it all together. There's this power. There's this something behind all of this. It's a cosmic force that was the fullness of truth to the Greeks. That's what they believed logos was. You need to know, it's, it's not like when we talk today that somebody kind of believes in um, uh, intelligent design. Because when we say intelligent design, it implies that there's an intelligence behind it. There's a person. And that's not what logos was. They didn't say there's a person. They go, there's this something, a cosmic force. It's not a person. It's bigger than a person. It transcends a person, but it holds everything together. And our job as Greeks who live in this is to live in harmony with that. It's what's unseen that ties everything together. It's the reason for everything. It's the logic behind everything. There's this something that is more transcendent to a person. You can't touch it, and you can't see it, and you can't grab it, but you can know that it's there, and you can try to live in harmony with it. You certainly can't have a relationship with it, and it certainly doesn't love you. But through enlightenment, you can come to understand it a little more. So when John wrote, in the beginning was the Logos, the Greeks went, oh, Logos, I know that. And then they went, now you're telling me it's a person? That the reason behind everything, the power behind everything, the harmony, the thing that holds everything together is a person? It's crazy. Loaded language for the Greeks. Now, if you're a Jew, it was loaded language too, but for a different reason. You heard him say, in the beginning, and immediately if you're a Jew, you go, in the beginning. I know that. I know those words. I know what that means. I know what we're about to do. I know what we're about to talk about. In the beginning is the start of our story as Jewish people who believe in God. Those are the first words of Torah. That's what made everything happen was in the beginning. We know that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when you said that, when John said that, immediately they perked up and go, he's speaking our language. 
this in the beginning. It's the beginning of our words. And it's not just any words, it's the words of God. And the words of God have all the power in the world. They're the reason behind everything. As a matter of fact, it says that there was water and there was this darkness over the earth. In other words, there was chaos until the word of God came and God spoke. And he said, let there be a separation between water and land. In other words, the word of God made everything happen. It brought order to chaos. As a matter of fact, just in that first creation story, that first chapter, Genesis 1, it says, God said 10 times. Because everything came from God said, the word of God. So God said, let there be light, there was light. God said, let there be land, there was land. God said, let there be birds. God said, let there be animals. God said, let there be man. God said, God said, the power of everything, the start of everything, what holds everything together is the word of God. And you need to know for a Jewish person, that is my connection to the Almighty. It's the word of God. I can't touch God. I can't see God. Moses even asked, and God was like, you can't handle seeing me. But you have my word. And so through the word, they would go, this is my connection. This is the revelation of God. This is how I find out who he is. This is how I find out what he means. This is how I find out purpose for me. Beginning, end, everything. If you want to understand, I can't overestimate this enough, the, the respect and the reverence that Jewish people had for the word of God. Oh, I wish we had just a half of it. It's amazing the way they looked at it. Let me, let me give you one to write down, okay? Write this down if you've got your little book, and if you don't, write this down anyway. Psalm 119. You need to go read Psalm 119. The longest book in the Bible is Psalms. The longest chapter in Psalms is Psalm 119. It's 175 verses. Do you know that? And you know what it's all about? It's this love song to the Word of God. Time after time after time. You can go and look at that one. And if you see everywhere where it says your decrees, your statutes, your laws, your words, your promises, every one of those you can translate into your word, the word of God. That's what it is. And every one of them is the word of God. And they're talking about what the word of God does. And it's this big, long song. As a matter of fact, it's 22 verses of a song, 22 stanzas. Each stanza starts with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So for every letter, there's a verse. You want to know why? Because that's what they thought about the Word of God. It's that important. It's everything. It's every letter of our alphabet. It's everything we say. It's everything we do. It's the A to the Z. It's the beginning and the end. And that's the way that they loved it. And they talk about God's Word like it's a person. I want to, if I can, I'm going to read you just a small portion, but you need to know, you can go and read Psalm 119, and everywhere that it says words or decree or uh, rules, you can insert Jesus in there, and it will make perfect sense to us now. Because listen to the way that they talked about the Word of God. This is just a small portion. This is Psalm 119, 145 through 147. I call with all my heart, answer me, Lord, and I'll obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I have put my hope in your words. Does that not sound like the way that we're supposed to talk to Jesus? I cry out to you, save me. I cry out to you, 
I put my hope in you. These are all of the things just in Psalm 19. It says that God's word will give me truth. It will give me understanding. I will del- it will give me delight. This is what he says about how the psalmist writes, what he will do with the word. I will keep it. I will behold it. Behold. <laughs> I will behold it. I will trust in it. I will delight in it. I will love it. I will tremble at it. I will remember it. I will seek it with my whole heart. I will declare it. I will store it up in my heart. I will cling to it. I will run to it. And then he calls on it, your word, please deliver me, sustain me, save me, strengthen me. That's what they say about the word of God. That's how they felt about the word of God. And so when John starts and says, in the beginning was the word, I promise you, Every Jewish person's ears perked up. And then he says, I got to tell you, the word of God came as a person. It was a person. The Torah that came, this is how God chose to reveal himself, is through his word. And for the most part, Jews always believed there's the word of God. You can't touch it. You can't see it. You can't hold it. But now you have John going, yes, you can, because it was a person, and it came and lived in the flesh. The power and the reason, the power of God and the reason of God and the action of God and the revelation of God was actually a person. It was Jesus. Centuries of God's words came in the form of a person, and that's who Jesus was. It's everything that he's been trying to tell us through all of the words forever. Jesus is the description. He is the reason. He is all of these things. So John's first words for Jew and Gentile alike set the world on fire. It was scandalous words for Jew. What do you mean it was a person? For the Greek to go, what do you mean logos is a person? None of this makes any sense. And that's where John decides that he wants to hold to begin. He says, Jesus is what holds everything together, Greek or Jew. He's all that you've been searching for and what you never thought you'd be able to obtain. The answer to everything and the center of everything for the Jew and the Gentile, it's Jesus. And that's how I'm going to begin because I want you to understand that. You can just almost feel the desperation of John to go, I want you to know what I know about this person. And here's how I begin. He's the answer to everything. And again, I'll tell you, that's not a young man's words. That's an older man's words who's walked with the Lord for a long time and go, this is what it means. He's at the beginning of everything. Nothing exists without him. He's the reason for it all. And I was loved by him. And I want you to know it because when I'm loved by somebody, I want you to understand who they were. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, this is towards the end of the gospel, and we will get to this at one point, but he writes down one of the things that he wants us to understand. He says, now Jesus did many other signs, this is at the end of the gospel, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You want to know why? Because John had life in his name. I have this life, and I got this understanding now of what he was trying to do all this time. I don't get it all, but what I do gets amazing, and I want you to be able to understand that, and I want you to see it. I want you to know more than what happened, but I want you to have life, and I want you to have life in his name the way that I do, John would say. I witnessed it, and I beheld it. I saw it, 
And then there's this brilliance we're going to see in the way that John wrote it. Again, as an older man, you're going to see all of these things as we go through. The way that he wants you to understand it and the desperation that, he'll, that, that he has for you to understand because he writes it in such an interesting way. In just the first five verses of the whole gospel, he describes Jesus as the word, the life, and the light. He's trying to make sure that you understand he's everything in the first few verses. You'll see the meaning and purpose as he points out that these were signs and wonders. You'll hear him use that language a lot. They're signs and wonders. John talks about that over and over. And then Jesus did these signs and wonders. This is the first sign and wonder. This is the second sign and wonder because he wants you to understand who he is. He's the one that wrote it down in such a way that he says, there's these I am statements. And I want you to see them. There's seven different times where Jesus says, I am. I'm the bread. I'm the gate. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. And John wrote that on purpose so that you would understand more than just what Jesus did, but what he's trying to be and what he wants us to understand about that. There will be this talk about hours where John will say, Jesus talked about it. it's not my hour yet, and then he'll talk about it. now it's my hour, and this is the hour for this to happen. And it's brilliant, and it's beautiful. He'll constantly, throughout John's gospel, you will see Jesus as he talks to people, and they'll go physical, and he'll go spiritual. They'll go physical bread, and he'll go spiritual bread. Physical water that I need to quench my thirst, you need spiritual water that will quench your soul. Time after time, you'll see John doing this, and it's brilliant in the way that he wrote it down. And then we'll be able to understand why John would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, that used to bother me a little bit. I thought, what an arrogant thing to do if you're writing your own book to call yourself the disciple that Jesus loved but I don't see it that way anymore. I see him looking back and trying to decide what I want to write down for you, what I want you to understand. I wasn't just an eyewitness. I didn't just see this. He loved me. I get it, right? In the same way I talked to you about my grandfather looking back and going, the way that he did this, I was loved by him. Is for John to be able to go, you need to understand after all of this time and after telling these stories and finally looking at all of it, and trying to decide what it meant. He loved me. I was loved by the Messiah. What a great way to introduce yourself. We all ought to be able to do that. In retrospect, as we go through this book, my prayer is that all of us will be able to go, here's my name, beloved disciple of Jesus. The one he loved. Not the only one, but definitely one of the ones that he loved. That's what we're going to do over the next several months together in the book of John. I want us to see him the way that John did. I want us to look through his eyes, through an eyewitness who spent all of this time with him, and through the guidance of the Holy, the Holy Spirit as he helped him write it down. And I want us to come to know our Christ more than that, more than we do. And I want to tell you, if you're new to Jesus, man, my prayer is that you will come to understand that he is the answer to everything you've been looking for. He's the thing that holds it all together. He was the one that made it. He's the one that put us together. He's the reason. He's the power. He's the word behind every different, everything that we have. And let me tell you, if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, and you've heard these stories before, my hope and my prayer is that as we go through this, we will see anew our Jesus. And we will be reminded of the wonder that comes from our Christ and the things that he did and that we will be changed. And as John said, we may have life in his name. That we know more than just what he said, 
And we can do more than just quote the things that he said and what he did, but we'll actually be changed and we'll have a life new in Christ. That's where we're going. I can't wait to go with you on this. I want us to spend this time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living. We thank you that uh, there's always more that can be revealed to us of who you are. We thank you for the words that were written by the disciple John. Lord, we uh, ask that as we go through this together as a church, that you will make us more loving towards each other, that you will reveal yourself more to us in who you are, and that we will uh, have revealed to us more of who our Savior was. Lord, let us fall in love all over again with who Jesus is and what he did. Let us remember how amazing the grace was. Let us remember that the mercies are new every morning, and let us be changed by that. Restore to us our wonder in who Jesus was and your love for us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.